All right, Hitler. Want to make your country great again? Get a fascist. Fucking Italian. Hambo, Hambo, where you been? I'm gonna fuck them all. I'm gonna fuck them all. Who's turned on? Who's turned on by this rope that you can't see that I'm pulling? It's my penis! Here I come, ladies! <laughs> Welcome back, everybody! To my penis! Caligula. Oh, right, right, sorry. <laughs> Caligula 11. Yes. Uh, yes. Well. Last time we said that uh, around about September, September of 37, late September, Yeah, Caligula fell very ill and he would stay that way for a month and uh, everyone fucking panicked. <laughs> well, not only are they surprised because he's 24 years old, but as we've said, the first six months were pretty good. He, he didn't really put a foot wrong. Everybody's happy with what he's doing. And in each day that goes by, he's more and more not like Tiberius. The people are in love. They're hoping this goes on. And suddenly he seems to be on death's door. So it's not just a normal, oh my God, my king is sick. This is the guy we've been waiting for for years because Tibbo lives such a long fucking time. And now this guy is maybe going to die. I'm in a true freak out of an empire. From his sickbed, he named his favorite sister, Drusilla. <laughs> As you do. His heir apparent. Yes. She, if he died, she would inherit everything. Basically, the imperial property and the throne. Everything. The, the full kit and caboodle she would get. In effect though, making Lepidus her husband at the time his successor. We'll get into that relationship a little bit more later on, but she was married to Lepidus at the time, and it's a little bit confusing whether or not um, he meant for Drusilla to be the heir or her and her husband together to be the heirs, but uh, basically uh, that was his plan. Um, But when he recovered... Uh, towards the end of October, all hell broke loose. Well, I, I just have to say that, you know, so he, he's sick. It's it's taking a while. People are freaking out. And I and please remind me if we've already talked about this, but the equestrian Atanius Secundus said that he would fight as a gladiator if this guy recovers. That is what I'm willing to do. I am willing to risk my life in the arena Anything to appease the gods to, so they can make Caligula better. Not to be outdone. Publius Afranius Petitus says in public, I will give my life if the gods, if Jupiter, greatest and best, would spare our leader. I will give my life. So now, again, you hear stuff like that and you're like, oh, that's bullshit or whatever. But actually, statements like that were made when um, Augustus was really, really ill and they were doing the hot compresses and the cold compresses so the point is that's not unprecedented and i think people i think what they were trying to do is say this is how much this guy means to me or i recognize how much he means to the state that i'm willing to say in public i'm not really going to do it i would give my life for this guy but that kind of stuff may be remembered by some people well, yeah, and I think they the, those are evidences of how Caligula treated flatterers. Uh, yeah. You know, going back to Tiberius's time, we know that when people tried oh, to flatter Tiberius, no. he would basically just ign- he yes. would ignore them. Let's just <laughs> fuck off with that bullshit, right? 
Uh, but uh, Caligula takes a different approach uh, when they make those sorts of comments. He's like calling them on it. Okay, yeah, we'll do yeah. it then. Uh, but I think it's a way, I mean, if these stories are true, the way I read it is it's Caligula's way of just, instead of telling people to just cut right. out the ridiculous uh, obsequiousness and yeah. flattery, uh, suck ass, he will just say, he, he would call them on it and because they can't go, oh, I didn't really mean it. So they have to do it and, um, you know, both of those guys died. They, they say these things thinking they're going to get a reward for their right. loyalty, whether or not he survives. Uh, instead, they both uh, died. Right. I, yeah, I mean, you can love me and think I'm a great person, but don't do not do something that's extreme, that's stupid, that's embarrassing for both of us. And maybe he's going to teach Rome a lesson by asking these two guys to fulfill their promise. Maybe. Now, um, making his sister his heir, Ray, and not Gemellus, as was Tiberius's intention. Right. What what do you think's going on there? Me, personally, uh, I think that he was wanting Lepidus, who he, as far as I can tell, trusted, loved, thought of as a good friend, occasionally boinked, uh, I think he wanted him to rule, and the way you do that, even though he could have, I guess, said out and out, if I die, I want Lepidus to take over. You know, it's. It, I think it's, is it more, is it safer? So maybe the Senate won't dis, um, give him any flack for it, to say, I want my the wife of this guy to be the ruler, because she is my sister. She's a part of the royal family. In fact, her name is included on several oaths that we've talked about in previous episodes. I think it was just her his way of getting his sister taken care of and having Lepidus step in and run the country. I don't think he really meant for his sister to be the first female Roman ruler, knowing that could not have gone over very well with the Senate and the equestrians. That's my take. Mm, right. Well, I think it's also a matter of trust there. Like, we've talked about the fact that, you know, his his parents were killed, yeah. his two older brothers were killed. It's just him and his sisters, and they've obviously got a, you would imagine, a very tight bond, mm, the sort point. of Damocles hanging over their heads for all those years. Uh, so I think they, there's very strong trust and love between him and his sisters, certainly at this stage, and particularly with Drusilla. Uh, and, as you said, with Lepidus as well, keeping in mind that she was married to someone else, he forced them to get a divorce mm-hmm. and told her to marry Lepidus. Um, he yeah. obviously wanted Lepidus to be in that situation. He obviously trusted him and wanted him to be uh, uh, the heir of something should happen. But, of course, when he recovers, one of the first things that he does is accuse Gemellus of a plot against his life. Uh, he accuses him of maybe having Caligula poisoned uh, is one of the stories that's come down and attempting to, if not poison him, at least hoping he would die and planning to to announce himself as the emperor if Caligula died. Uh, Cassius Dio says that the charge made against Gemellus was that he had anticipated Caligula's death and waited for a chance to benefit from his illness, which doesn't sound that bad. Like, well, if he's, you know, not my fault he's sick, but if he is sick and if he is going to die, then sure, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. Yeah, That doesn't sound like a huge crime. But Philo 
the uh, Alexandrian uh, Jew who spent a lot of time in Rome in this period and Jerusalem explicitly says that Gemellus was charged with conspiracy and that a centurion and a military tribune were sent to force him to commit suicide. Yeah, but being the young, and I think we, I can't remember if we said, said this previously, but being the young man that he is, he doesn't have any experience, any military experience. He certainly doesn't have any experience with the sword, so he's handled the sword to end himself, doesn't quite know how to do it, so he has to be, quote, unquote, helped by a centurion or a soldier. But the point is, this young man is now dead on the orders of Caligula. He would have been 17 or 18 years old around about this point. Yeah, um, Suetonius claims that Gemellus had a cough for which he'd been taking medicine, and when somebody detected the smell of it, it led to the charge that he'd been taking an antidote against poison uh, because he believed that Caligula might poison him uh, and that was enough for a charge of Maestas, even though Maestas isn't a thing at this stage. Caligula's yeah. eradicated that. I think that's the version they show in the film. He's like, what is this? Oh, you're taking an antidote. You must think I'm trying to poison you. That's a horrible thing to think of your right. adopted father. So um, I'm going to kill you. Take him away. Yeah. Take him away, yeah. Um and of course, yeah, the, the, when the soldiers went to him to order him to kill himself, he'd never handled a sword before. Mm. He'd never seen anyone commit suicide, so they had to show him how to commit suicide. Uh, Philo uh, describes it this way. Since Gemellus had no experience of warfare and had never witnessed a suicide, he had to be instructed in the technique, and having received this first and last lesson... He was forced to become his own murderer. Oh, God. 17 years old. He is not a threat to Caligula. So either Caligula doesn't want him ever to rule, even if Caligula dies, or maybe someone someone said something about Gemellus to Caligula, but this seems to be far-fetched, and the evidence against him is circumstantial at best. Um, so I don't really get this unless he just really assumed he was going to live for a long time and he was going to get rid of Gamellus later. He almost dies. So he realizes, look, I've got to get rid of this guy, no matter how flimsy, flimsy the excuses are. Yeah, I think he was probably just looking for a, a pretext. I mean, Tiberius got rid of Germanicus, um, and, uh, you know, it's reasonable to think that uh, Caligula wanted to do the same thing get rid of get rid of any potential threats to the throne but, starting with Gamellus but here's my follow-up question we and of course we don't know the exact dates you know you, you hate the fact that you don't have all the information or at least more of the information but from what we know Gamellus and Solanus his his former father-in-law Caligula's former father-in-law die roughly at the same time you know at the end of 37 so is there a connection? I wonder if there was whispered conversations, you know, because 
we all know that if if um, Caligula dies, Gemellus, uh, as far as before Caligula says anything about his sister, Gemellus is the one. He's the heir. He's the adopted son. We all get that. Yeah, I know you don't want him, but the point is you're the one who set that up. So I just wonder if there's not a connection between Gemellus and Solanus, was there not a conversation when he's sick? Why does Solanus also end up um, dying of un- very unnatural causes? At the at the behest of Caligula. Yeah, yeah. There seems to be a connection, at least around the timing uh, and his illness, and potential talk of succession mm. uh, or potential involvement in his illness. If he did genuinely think it was poison, or if he just used his illness as a pretext to get yeah. rid of people that were pissing him off and potentially he saw as a threat. Uh, but before we're leaving Gemellus, yeah. I want to point out that he was probably buried in the mausoleum of Augustus. We think so because his gravestone was found relatively nearby Uh and apparently uh, due to his contempt, the the Caligula felt for Gemellus at the time, on the gravestone he's not recorded as the emperor's son. Now, of course, he was... He was Tiberius's grandson Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, when... Caligula became emperor. He adopted him as his own son, but he just write just on the gravestone. Apparently, it says, "Here lies Tiberius Caesar, son of Drusus Caesar." That's it. Ooh, slight. Um, yes. Yeah, I tried to find an image of that. I couldn't find one. I did find the one that claimed to be the gravestone of Claudius, um, and I'll talk about that later on. It wasn't wasn't Claudius? But um, thanks to Nick Contomidos, uh, Nick the Greek. Uh, for or pointing that out to me, that the story I linked to was fake news. Uh, the things, the things they will fake news about. Uh, yes. Contodemos, Nick Contodemos. Um, I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, yeah, so Gamelus is dead, and then. You know, this weakens the the position of Macro and Solanus if they. If they had thought oh. to themselves at any point, well, listen, if Caligula doesn't work out, at least we've got Gamellus. Now they don't. Yeah, yeah, they don't have the backup uh, in their camp <laughs> anymore. Right. All right. Well, you've already mentioned Solanus. Now, there's the the timeline here is a little bit all over the place. Some sources say he died. Uh, in late 37, the same time as Gamellus. Others say it was a bit later. I don't know. But anyway, Solanus, of course, was his father-in-law from a previous marriage. Um, Philo claims that Solanus had nothing but love and respect for Caligula, always spoke very highly of him, but in private tried to give him some advice on how to be a good emperor. Uh, and Caligula just got sick of being told what to do. Yeah. Not too many 24-year-olds uh, according to Philo. want to be told what to do, <laughs> especially if they're all powerful 24-year-olds. Well, yeah, but you remember that when Augustus was a young man during the early second triumvirate and he was a bit of a hothead, right? Uh, young, young, dumb and full of cum and rich <laughs> and was just running around with the prescriptions and, uh, you know, having people executed after one of the sieges in the memory of his father and all that kind of stuff. It seems that he was surrounded by 
advisors like Agrippa and Messinus that pulled him back a little bit and said, hey, listen, you're being a cunt. Uh, calm the fuck down. Right. If you're a, if, if you're a dick, this is all going to be over quickly. If, <laughs> if the people don't kill you, we will, right? So, right. But if you grow the fuck up, grow the fuck up, uh, learn a thing or two, maybe we can make this last for 40 years. You know, maybe we can yeah. do something long-term good here. Yeah, yeah. Augustus had the personality or the maturity or whatever to go, you know what, you're right. Um, it seems, if the stories are to be believed, that Caligula didn't want any of that shit. He just, right. he wanted to be a party boy. And again, I, I have to remind myself when I'm reading all of this that he was born a prince in in waiting, yes. a prince with a sword hanging over his head, yes, but a prince nonetheless, still, whereas Augustus yeah. wasn't. Octavian wasn't born a prince. He was just, uh, you know, his grand uncle was a soldier and a consul uh, of some renown, but uh, he wasn't born into royalty. There was no uh, Roman royalty at the time. Very different upbringings, very different mindsets at the time when they're in their early 20s and they come to power. Let me me bring something up before we move too far away from it, because if you don't, if you just know the basics of Caligula, what you maybe see in a movie or whatever, or you're um, just some like a Rome series or whatever, I don't know, but you get the impression that he's very sick. He comes out of his sickness and he's mentally defective. Um, and I think that's just, a, I think it's worth spending a couple of minutes on. As far as we can tell, his decision to get rid of Gemalis wasn't because of some, um, injury to his mental capacity or anything like that. I think he literally he saw a moment of, oh, fuck, if I die, this guy's taking over, and I don't want him to take over. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. So I got to get rid of him. I don't think him going after Gamelis was a sign of insanity. I don't think him going after Solanus, who probably genuinely got on his nerves by talking down to this guy in a certain in a certain way uh, is a sign of madness. I, I don't think that's come yet, but if you don't pay attention to that, it just gets assumed that there was something about his sickness that messed up his head, and from here on out, he's he's wacky guy killing people left and right. Yeah, it's... it's yeah. Like, m- maybe something did happen to him. Maybe his brain got addled from the sickness. Um, yeah, we but just don't m- Maybe he was... Maybe he had Stalin levels of paranoia and he came out of it and thought they were trying to murder him. It's fair. Yeah. I mean, Plenty after of all of the poisonings yeah. that had yes. happened, Drusus, Germanicus, his own father, right? Right. Um, so anyway, Solanus, um, all Caligula did to get rid of Solanus was indicate <laughs> during a Senate meeting that he wasn't very happy with Solanus and altered the procedure so that former consuls would vote in order of seniority. And apparently Solanus was the highest-ranking senator, like not quite the princeps, but the one below the princeps, um, for whatever reason. Um, You know, I think we talked about him back in Tiberius's day, but uh, this guy was had a huge amount of credibility. Yes. Um, and, and, and I think there was a story that if uh, Solanus ruled on some sort of a court case and it got sent to Tiberius for his review, <laughs> if right. he saw Solanus did, he was like, no, nah, it's good. If Solanus <laughs> did it, it's good, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to disagree with um, that. Yeah. 
so he was very highly respected, but anyway, Caligula basically uh, changes the rules so he doesn't get to vote first, and that's enough for Solanus. He understands he gets, yeah. apparently what that means, and he commits suicide, yeah. which, as we know, meant that his family could retain their their property and their fortune. If he'd been tried on some trumped-up charge and found guilty, all of the family's assets would be... Uh, confiscated. Now, Suetonius does include a story that when Caligula first became emperor and he went on his sea voyage to go to the islands where his right. mother and brother had been executed to recover their bones and bring them back, uh, he invited Solanus to come along and Solanus said, oh, you know, uh, not uh, no, listen, I'd love to, but I, right. I, I'm i not good on the water. I get seasick. Yeah. Uh, oh, next time, next right. time. Yeah. And Caligula uh, apparently suspected that Solanus really stayed behind in order to take over if Caligula should be lost at sea. So, I don't know. That's some Stalin-level fucking right. paranoia right there, but, if that's but true. That's true. That is Stalin-level. But you have to add on the realistic element that he did go during a bad time, and so the chances were increased somewhat that something could happen because he wasn't going during the, the more smoother times to sail. So it was a real possibility, and maybe... Um, the uh, Solanus was thinking of the state. Oh shit! If something happens to you, someone's got to step in and and keep steering this thing. So it, it, if that's really what it was, you can't really say that's evil of Solanus. But it, all that matters is how Caligula interprets this. And if he is paranoid, if his near death experience upset him or showed him what could happen if he's not there, yeah, maybe he sees things in a different light now, and he's got to get rid of certain people. It's not really a reason to. Force someone to commit suicide, but okay. Um, so not well, long after, not long after, yeah, not long after that. Probably around the start of the year thirty-eight. It's Macro's turn, and his wife, uh, Big Tits uh, Ania, <laughs> right. um, in the film. Anyway, he's got enormous, <laughs> yeah. enormous breasts. Now. As we know, Macro was a Praetorian prefect, and to replace a Praetorian prefect is a tricky piece of business. Yes. Uh, fuck it up, and <laughs> you could find your own head on a spike. So Caligula goes about it very carefully. He pl- and this is another indication that he was, he was smart and cunning. Yes. Um, and this is happening after his illness. So, like, I don't think he was brain-addled when he came out of it. The, the way point. he executed this was... The way he executed the macro thing, if the, if the stories are true, was uh, flawless. Yeah. Yeah, I do know, and, and this is something that I, when I was a very little kid, I read about Hitler. Um, not that I'm comparing Caligula to Hitler, but what Hitler would do is when he was about to go after someone, he would shower them with praise and awards and promotions, and that way lull them into a sense false of security and then strike. That's pretty much what Caligula does here. I I don't know if Macro wanted this, but so, suddenly he has made the prefect of Egypt. As we know, that was a, that was the princeps' personal realm. A ton of money was coming in from that, so it had to be someone that you absolutely trust. It was one of the highest honors you could get. So Macro, the only promotion he could possibly get from being in charge of the Praetorians is something like this. And so I don't know what his reaction was. I don't know if he wants it, but 
Caligula is supposedly promoting this man to one of the most powerful positions in the entire empire. Yeah. And he replaced him uh, as Praetorian, not with one man, but with two following Augustus's original model. Ooh, yes. um, you know, since, you know, you're in charge of the emperor's bodyguard and you're a potential <laughs> threat yourself, Augustus yeah. always had two men in the position. They're supposed to keep an eye on each other, be rivals for power, although... You know, he had Sianus and Sianus's uncle, Blazus. Right. Uh, I'm not really sure that they're going to be keeping an eye on each other. Uh, not the greatest. Uncle and his nephew. Yeah. No. Yeah. But the idea of having uh, two people makes a lot of sense. And Caligula seems to have chosen good guys. Uh, they were both plucked from obscurity. And we don't even know both of their names. We know the name of one, Marcus Arecanus Clemens, better known to modern audiences as Mark Twain. He was one of the (laughs) uh, Praetorian prefects. The other one, we don't know. Right. That's how But, you know, because he picked them up out of nowhere, they owed a great debt. Oh, yeah. To Caligula, like you owe me a great debt, Ray. Um, you picked me out of obscurity. That's, yeah, that's why I know you will always be loyal, no ma- no matter how many times I make fun of you being a bubble boy. You will never no. ever have me assassinated. No. I'm quite confident of that. No, I, I want you around for a really long time for my for my own needs. That came out wrong. Never mind. Okay, scratch that. That's never mind. So, Macro, Caligula brings me, he goes, got good news, Uh, you're a made man, Uh, we're going to have a nice little ceremony for you at this house, be there, 2pm sharp, uh, wear your best suit. Uh, (laughs) Macro rocks up to the uh, ceremony and gets two in the back of the head, uh, just like Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. Right. And and correct me if I'm wrong, um, is this where... um because Caligula's got to be nervous because these troops are used to being completely loyal to Macro uh, because he's the one who takes care of them and signs their checks or whatever. But is this where Caligula gives them an extra bonus just to make sure? Or, or am I reading too much into the film? I'm really getting my notes mixed up here. I'm, I'm, I just Because he had to be nervous at that particular moment. Would his men turn on Macro? Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure if he gave them a special bonus at this point, but it would make yeah. sense to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So before Macro can get on the ship to go to Egypt, he, his wife, Aenea, Caligula's former lover, and other people who are unnamed in the sources mm-hmm. are charged with crimes and then either executed or forced to commit suicide, which is actually what uh, Macro and his wife did. Right. Um, now, Philo suggests that it was Aenea who had been secretly fucking Caligula while in Capri Ooh. who tricked Macro into defending and supporting Caligula. Right. Uh, um, because as we know, Thibaut wanted to have Caligula killed and Macro stopped it from happening. Philo suggests it was all Aeneas' plot from the get-go. He says Caligula then began to fabricate charges against him, 
which, though false, were plausible and readily believed. Uh, He says that Caligula claimed that Macro had tried to take credit for Caligula becoming emperor, saying he was more of a parent to him than his actual parents, that he would have died a thousand times on Capri if it wasn't for Macro, and that he wouldn't even be emperor if Macro hadn't got the Praetorians and the army behind him. Basically, he said Caligula owed his throne and his life to Macro. And Philo says Caligula was... Sick of all this bullshit, Macro trying to act like his teacher and mentor, telling him how to behave like an emperor. Uh, Some were found guilty on the basis of witness testimony and the evidence from earlier trials, supposedly destroyed that they had participated in attacks on Caligula's mother, his brothers, and their supporters. Remember when he became emperor, he he supposedly burned Tiberius's records of all these people? Well... (laughs) When I look, when I said I burned them, right, it was true. I did burn them, mm-hmm. but I had made backups right. on a on microfilm. Right. Uh, don't ask me what that is. I can't tell you. Uh, Top secret. Hush hush. Well, yeah. I think there's a difference between if you're macro. I think there's a difference because again, we really don't know 100 percent what the truth is. But there's a big difference saying privately to Caligula, whispering very, very softly, saying something like, you know, I just, I, I'm just so happy and um, blessed that I could help in any way I possibly can when you were on Capri and now that you're emperor. If I had anything to do with making that happen, I just thank Jupiter. And if there's anything more I can do for you to show how much I love and appreciate you, I'll do it. I'll do it. That's one thing. To go around saying, yeah, if it wasn't for me, that little shit would have been dead a long time ago. He owes everything to me. I mean, that's just stupid. That's just political suicide. That's just literal suicide. I just can't imagine Macro not being smart enough to not do that stuff. So you kind of have to question the story. You have to question the sources. Because I just don't see him being that blatant or that stupid but again, that's just my interpretation of what little we know. Yeah, it may not have been that blatant. Mm-hmm. It may have been just even in private moments, if uh, it's true, where he might have said to Caligula, look, um, I, you can't go out and give speeches in the forum with your dick hanging outside right. your toga. That's just not... not I know you think it's funny. <laughs> it is funny, but... I, kn- I know you like playing puppet. <laughs> Of the puppetry of the penis out there. Or or playing shadows. Yeah, and the voices that you do with Mr. Penis when you pretend he's a senator. Look, they were funny at first, I grant you that. But really, you've been doing it for six months now. You're the emperor. Like, uh, show a little bit of decorum. And Tiberius, Caligula could have gone like, fuck you, you're not my father. Exactly. And Macro could have said, "Listen, listen, you shit. Uh, if it wasn't for you, it wasn't for me, you'd be dead. So maybe just remember yeah, that. That's right. the could have been like that, yeah. just like in private quarters, and and Caligula got upset. It could have been just Macro saying, "Listen, this old dressing up in wigs and dancing about on stage and pulling senators out of their bedrooms just- at midnight so you can teach them the moonwalk." <laughs> I mean. Uh, let's you know, people are complaining. Yeah. People, people are. If you keep this up, people are going to think you're crazy. Yeah, you know, you don't. You know, two thousand years from now, you don't want people doing <laughs> podcasts, talking shit. You don't want you don't make a McDowell making a movie about you where they <laughs> depict you as being batshit crazy. Come on, think about 
Think about the future. Right. Think about your reputation in 2000 years. And Khalil was like, fuck you. Fuck what? You. Who's Malcolm yeah, McDowell? Never, never heard of him. <laughs> never never mm. will either. But have you noticed a pattern? All the people that either helped him get to power, who could remind him of that, or people that may be, and I mean this in a very positive way, advising him are suddenly disappearing. You're get, I get the sense that this guy just doesn't want to be told what to do. I don't care who in the fuck you are, what you've done for me. I'm not going to say thank you. Quit talking to me like that. And I don't think you're recognizing the really awesomeness that I am. I'm just, I'm just perceiving a pattern of anybody who has any, any even slight chance of talking to him as an almost equal, not that they are, are disappearing off the stage. A bit like Trump's cabinet. That's right. <laughs> Pretty much. Did you see the interview that the the guy did with Rachel Maddow where he pretty much said Bolton, Trump, uh, Rudy, the, um, the, the AG, the Attorney General, everybody knew everything that we were doing to try to get the Ukraine president to open up an investigation on, I mean, on Biden. He just said, yeah, they all knew everything that we were doing. So... Who knows what's if anything's going to happen with that information? But it's out there now for whatever well, that's worth. Of course, it's not. I mean, the day that we're recording, I think the uh, impeachment trial in the Senate started uh, today. Uh, it's officially starting. Your yeah. time, yeah. Nothing's going to happen. Of course not. Yeah. Anywho, um, anywho, did a boom. Uh, where are we up to? Oh. Now, Cassius Dio says, in reality, the reason Caligula was getting rid of all of these people is that he wanted their property. Ooh. He says, but in reality, it was because of their property, for the treasury had become exhausted and he never could have enough. Such persons were convicted on the evidence, not only the witnesses who had appeared against them, but also of the papers which he had once declared he had burned. Now... Uh, if they're committing suicide, my understanding is he's not getting his hands on their property, but maybe it's not Macro and Solanus's property here. It's the others that were put up on charges yes. of something, something, Good something, point. found guilty, uh, executed, and he was taking their property. Um, some of them were accused of behaving inappropriately during his illness. Uh, some were accused, of course, of being involved in the conspiracies against his uh, family. Right. His mother and brothers, etc. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, some charges apparently were that these people were old enemies of Germanicus's family uh, mm-hmm. and had hoped for Gemellus to take over because they didn't like Caligula because he was one of the Germanici, Germanici, Germanici. Uh, one guy, a uh, good story, is uh, Avilius Flaccus. Now, mm-hmm. he had been the prefect of Egypt. Right. Um, and it was apparently quite friendly with Macro. Uh-oh. And he lost his office uh, as the prefect of Egypt in the autumn of 38. He had been appointed by Tiberius back in 32. His rule coincided with the riots against the Jewish population in Alexandria in 38, which is one of the reasons why Philo goes to see Caligula on behalf of Alexandria's Jewish population. Right. Uh, Flaccus grew up with the daughters... Uh, no, sorry... 
Flaccus grew up with the sons of Augustus's daughter, mm. uh, Julia, and was friends with Tiberius. Mm. So anyway, uh, he gets removed from his office. His property gets confiscated. Ooh. He was going to be exiled to Giarus, right. the island that Thibault once called harsh and devoid of human culture. But Lepidus, wife of Drusilla, lover of Caligula, right. intervened and convinced Caligula to send him to Andros instead, which was a fucking party island <laughs> by comparison. But he still lost his job in his... Uh, property. Yes, and not executed for the moment. Right. Uh, now, Philo writes that it was Flaccus that permitted a mob to erect statues of Caligula, who was demanding to be treated as a god in the Jewish synagogues in Alexandria. Ooh, thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, but this doesn't sound like Caligula in the early part of his reign no. to me. 37, 38, by the time that Flaccus is removed in the autumn of 38, where, when's Caligula been going around insisting that people build statues to him as a god? That, that, that doesn't sound like early Caligula. Right. Um, no, it, it so doesn't I, I, fit. I'm not, sh- yeah. I'm not sure about yeah. that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yes, he's touchy about the theater and he's into horse racing and he's throwing money around like it's growing on trees or whatever, but he hasn't showed in, uh, that propensity yet. Uh, love me, love me, love me. I'm a god, I'm a god, and I'm going to hurt you if you don't call me a god. He's not there yet, if he is at all, so this this story doesn't really fit in. Maybe maybe it was Flaccus's idea to erect the statue mm-hmm. and not Caligula's. Maybe it was Flaccus trying to suck up, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Macro's dead, Solanus is dead, Gemellus is dead, uh, because Caligula had previously said I want this person dead. <laughs> I want their family dead. I want their dog dead. <laughs> And it came to pass. So all these advisors are dead at his at, at Caligula's uh, word, but it doesn't have to go downhill for Caligula. He can get himself some new advisors, like you were saying earlier. Augustus had advisors. Tiberius constantly surrounded himself with philosophers. He loved to uh, to talk about serious subjects, and so he was a brainy cove, if you will. But the point is. Uh, but Caligula can get some, himself some new advisors. Maybe he gets people who are literally from the lower rungs of society, the people that he can dominate with his will. But the point is, he should have someone around him. And so the question is, this doesn't have to come off the rails yet. Uh, it depends on what he does, because so far, even though these people are dead, as far as I can tell with the sources, the people are not mad at him. They're not saying, oh, my God, you shouldn't have killed Macro. You shouldn't have done this. I think they're generally OK and they're still on his side. So this doesn't have to be a tragedy yet. He could still pull this out, but he is clearly going to need some new people around him. Yeah. Uh, and I'll get to those mm-hmm. in a second. But I just had some more of Philo oh, I wanted to read. Uh, Philo says that it was after killing Macro, Solanus and Gemellus that Caligula decided he no longer chose to remain fettered by the ordinary limits of human nature, but aspired to raise himself above them and desired to be looked upon as a god. That's not good. So maybe there, w- maybe there was a period of time bef- between executing Macro and um, uh, firing uh, um, Flacco, mm-hmm. um, and it was during that period, period when he said they had to erect a statue of him as a god. Maybe there was a couple of months in between. But Philo also says that 
from Caligula's perspective, this whole thing was a them or me situation. Right. Which is, you know, when we've talked about these things in the past, I remember going back to Caesar and Pompey, uh, going back to Alexander, uh, going back to Alexander's generals when they're all fighting mm-hmm. each other in the war of the uh, Diadoke. The way it's, I've always explained it, the way it's always seemed to me is it is a them or me situation. They realise, well, if, if I don't take out that other guy, he's eventually going to become powerful enough that he will try and take me out. Mm. So it's an act of self-defence to wage war or have your enemies executed. When, if you genuinely believe that if you don't do it now, yeah. six months from now or a year from now, they're going to take you out. Yeah. And his- Which, by the way, yeah. is, is how I'm currently thinking about climate change denialists. Ah, that, stem or uh, we should, Yeah, we should get them all, round them up. Yeah. Not kill them, but just put them in a camp somewhere. Australia's got a couple of lovely <laughs> concentration camps we keep on Manus Island um, Can they- for you know, asylum seekers. I think we should just uh, put the climate change denialists in those camps because it's an act of self-defence. If they keep... Like, Australia is, like, nearly entirely burnt down now. Right. Um, there's nothing left. And it's mostly because we haven't, our governments haven't done anything about, not only haven't done anything about climate change, but haven't done anything about preparing for the fact that climate change is real and the country is getting drier and hotter every year, which means bigger fires, longer fire seasons, start earlier, end later, harder to put out. They haven't invested in the necessary infrastructure to stop those fires from happening. Because they've had their head in the sand saying, la, 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 doesn't exist, doesn't exist, doesn't happen. Uh, and and uh, climate change denialists are enabling that to happen by voting these stupid cunts in and supporting their stupid-ass fucking weak-ass arguments. <laughs> did you read my uh, Did you read my blog post I wrote about climate change denialists? I saw it, but I have not read it yet. Oh, you should read it. Okay. It's probably the gra- greatest thing I've ever done. Um and getting a lot of love. Anyway, I, so I think rounding them all up and putting them in a concentration camp until we fix the climate change thing is probably a justifiable yeah. act of self-defense. Uh, self-defense. Survival. Survival. Yeah. Could, could or you, we'll all be could dead. You, could, could you make them fight all the fires first and then put them in the camps? I'd really appreciate that. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> I like that. And, you know, the, the longer this goes on, the more I'm starting to understand Stalin. Yeah. You know, I've said this many times before in our Cold War show. Okay, so it's the early 30s. It's 1933. You're Stalin. You're in charge of a country of 180 million people that kind of missed or very, very late to the Industrial Revolution, thanks to the czars being a bunch of fuckwits, inbred fuckwits, and um, <laughs> and thinking that Rasputin's magic was going to make everything happen. Right. And so you're in charge of this country. Uh, you got rid of the czars. Then you had to fight a civil war and World War One at the same time. Right. That all finished. Uh, it's the early 30s. You're in power. You've had to deal with all sorts of shit. All of a sudden, you've, you've got several existential threats. On one hand, you've got 180 million people who are growing. Ra- the population's growing rapidly because they're uh, or, you know orthodox uh, and they're yeah. f- fucking like rabbits. <laughs> right. um, second... <laughs> 
Uh, you've got Hitler just come to power, yeah. sworn enemy of the communists, who says he's he's going to wipe out all the communists. So you know he's coming for you at some stage. Right. You don't know when, but you know it's going to happen. Third, uh, because you're a Marxist, uh, Marxist-Leninist, you believe that the great capitalist powers will come and try and destroy your communist experiment because they don't want it to be successful. Because if it is successful, then the people in their own countries might go, oh, that communism looks good. We'd like some of that, please, sir. Right. So you're facing three existential threats, um, you know, particularly your, your lack of uh, progress as a nation means that not only population growth, but you're going to have to feed those people. Your farming is fucked. Your manufacturing base is fucked. You, you need to ramp up everything really, really quickly. You need to do in five years what the United States did in 50. Right. To you get your right. agricultural and your manufacturing base ready to fight off, well, to feed your people for a start and stop them dying from famines, and B, to fight off the Nazis and the capitalists, yeah. who were the same thing, really, at the end of the day. So, because the capitalists finance the Nazis. Don't, you know, read my book if you want to know more about that. So, uh, he has to initiate these these major reforms, quick, smart, get it done. And, he, and he's like, listen, uh, anyone gets in the way of this, yeah. I'm putting you in a gulag. We don't have time. It's the trolley problem. Well, as I explained on the Cobble Show, it's a trolley problem. Okay, you can... You can you can put you can you, the trains going down the tracks. If you pull it to the left track, one person will die. If you pull it to the right track, uh, ten people will die. Yeah, Got to make a choice. He's like, okay, okay, one hundred eighty million people could die from the Nazis and the capitalists and famine, uh, or <clears throat> I can take the million that are getting in the way and stopping progress and put them in a gulag until we get this done. Right. Um, I don't. I don't know if that's what he was thinking, and I'm not saying that justifies it ethically or morally. But I'm saying it's a way of thinking about progress and removing people that are uh, that that are. It's a self defense position on progress. That million people that are trying to stop progress uh, could bring about the death of all of us, and so they're a, they're a danger, and it's self defense to put them in a jail. That's how I'm starting to feel about climate change denialists, <laughs> to cut a long story short. Well, and the other part of that is everybody's the hero of their own story. Caligula's the good guy. Everybody's the bad guy. Stalin's the good guy to himself. Everybody else is the bad guy. Caligula's not going to go, well, I'm the bad guy, but I really want to win, and so I'm going to have to kill a bunch of good guys. It doesn't work that way. He's trying to preserve you know, the, the family line, the, uh, the, the country, the empire that's been given to him, that he's been able to survive hell and back to get. And so he sees himself as the hero, and these are the guys who are trying to stop him. They deserve to be removed in whatever way he has to because he's the emperor, he's the state, it's the official position, and he's going to do what he's got to do. Anyway, this is what, according to Philo, this is how Caligula thought. Of his own cousin and fellow heir, they would talk thus. Sovereignty, I always say sovereignty. Sovereignty, I don't know why I always do that. Sovereignty, you know, now now I'll start getting fucking smart-ass emails from Martin Darlington it always makes fun of me when I do this. Sovereignty, it's all right. He sent me the Chesva from uh, Qatar. I'm happy with that. Uh, he can make fun of me all he likes now that he sent me that thing. It's beautiful. We use it every day, Martin. I fucking love cool. that Chesva you sent me. It's the best. Sovereignty cannot be shared. That is an immutable law of nature. 
He, being the stronger, promptly did to the weaker what the weaker would have done to him. This is defence, not murder. Perhaps, too, it was providential and for the benefit of all mankind that the lad was put out of the way, since some would have been partisans of him and others of Gaius, and it is such things that create disturbances and wars, both civil and foreign. Of Macro, they said, his pride extended beyond reasonable limits. What reason had he for reversing his part and transferring the subject to the rank of ruler and Gaius, the emperor, to the place of a subject? To command, which is what he did, befits best the sovereign. And to obey, which is what he deemed Gaius should submit to, Mm -hmm. befits the subject. In the case of Solanus, the argument ran, he was under a ridiculous delusion in thinking that a father-in-law had the same influence over his son-in-law as a real father has over his son. But this silly man, even though he had ceased to be a father-in-law, extended his activities beyond his sphere and did not understand that the death of his daughter carried with it the death of the matrimonial affinity. That's some valid points. I mean, Rome's greatest fear is someone like Sejanus. Their next greatest fear is civil war. And if you've got Caligula and Gemellus, people start choosing up sides. That could lead to civil war. And Rome has had enough of those over the last 150 years, whatever the heck it's been. So, yeah, in some ways it's better for Rome for Gemellus to have been removed as long as Caligula is healthy and makes good decisions. So... Who were his advisors with all of these guys gone? Well, the <laughs> Suffolk consuls for 38 right. were Sextus Nanius Quintilianus and Servius Asinius Sella. Right. Uh, they might be options. Asinius was the son of Gaius Asinius Gallus and Vipsania. Ooh. The yes. former wife of Tiberius. Remember, Gallus was the guy who married her and then used to <laughs> just rub rub it into Tiberius all the time. He uh, he he. he uh, and they had a bunch of kids. He used to. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, including this right. guy, but he used to he used to uh, say to Tiberius all the time in public. I fucked your wife. <laughs> And then he would say, I probably shouldn't say that because I'll get in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Then he would say, I'm here for you, buddy. It's a good thing I was drunk. (laughs) Tiberius would say, Just tell me you have your pants on while you listen to that. That's all I need to know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Finally, Tiberius said to him, Suicide is painless. It brings on many change. Hey, that owl. I think it's great. Win, win, win. <laughs> so that's what yeah. happened. Yeah. So he's got. Uh, anyway, Asinius, yeah. so he's, he's now right. the Suffolk consul. And uh, Gallus was rumored to be the lover of Agrippina towards the end of her life. Yeah. I think those were the charges brought against him. So when Tiberius finally got rid of him. So maybe his son if that is true, was close to Caligula. Hey, my dad's stripping your mom. Uh, Let's hang out. Let's go get coffee. I don't know. And and there's, of course, there's Marcus Aemilius Lepidus, the the husband to his favorite sister, Drusilla. Oh, hold on. I haven't finished with Asinius. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, He did did have one thing in common with Caligula. 
He liked to spend money. There's a record that he once paid 8,000 sesterces for a single mullet. <laughs> now, what? I grew up in the 80s, Ray, and I've seen some magnificent mullets in my time. <laughs> uh, but no, never one that I think was worth 8,000 <laughs> sesterces. No. Uh, if anybody had one of those, it would have been Bono in, in the 80s. But you're probably right. That, that's, that's, oh, that's, yeah, that's true. too much. Yeah, 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 he probably he probably had an eight thousand yeah. sesterces mullet. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. So besides those advisors, of course, there's always Marcus Aemilius Lepidus, the husband of his fave sister Drusilla. Um, according to Dio, Lepidus was publicly marked by Caligula to succeed him, uh, as Caligula had no children, and Elepidus was allowed to stand for office five years earlier than the law permitted, which is something that we've seen, I think, since the time of at least uh, Augustus, if not sooner, those who are being chosen, those who are being fast-tracked because they're going to be needed to rule one day. Let's get them in there. Let's get them some experience. So he does have some people. It, It just seems to be not the same caliber of people who helped him get to where he is uh, in the first place. They're gone now. Yeah, and there's an interesting piece of archaeological evidence for how important Lepidus mm. was that, that was dug up in the city of Aphrodiseus. Mm. There's a statue group of the imperial family associated with the imperial cult, and there is a surviving a base for the statue of Marcus Lepidus. Oh. Don't actually have the statue, right. just the base with his name on it. So if you're being included in the imperial cult, um, you're, a, you're a big deal. So yeah. uh, Aphrodiseus uh, uh, is in uh, Turkey, Western Anatolia, used to be a Greek city. And yeah, that was dug up some years ago. So he was very, very important for a while. Oh. It, it did not last <laughs> very long. Now, and the other thing we should probably say about Lepidus, if he truly has been selected, and maybe even publicly to succeed Caligula, should the heavens decide to take him sooner, if you're Lepidus, you're not going to say anything that Caligula doesn't want to hear. So, so much for him being um, a, an advisor who can tell who can say no to power. So that's right out the window. So this guy quickly has no one who can stand, who's willing to stand up to him and tell him, no, that's never a good thing for a leader to have. Yeah. Somebody get the white house on the phone. (laughs) So, and then there was also Callistus. We mentioned in the last episode, he was the freedman, freed slave whose daughter Nymphidia was one of Caligula's lovers and may have had an illegitimate son with him. And there was another slave called Tiberius Claudius, originally a slave under Tiberius who granted him his freedom. Caligula inherited him. Later on uh, was a procurator and a financial secretary to Nero, granted equestrian status via Vespasian and finally died under Domitian at the age of 90. Successful. And it was, I think, his gravestone that was dug up in New York a few years ago in the grounds of an old building oh. that had uh, a mansion that had burnt down. 
And uh, I read an article that when I was looking for the gravestone of Gamellus, I found this one. And I read an article in some magazine that said it was the uh, gravestone of the Emperor Claudius. I posted that Nick Contodemos, uh, Nick the Greek, one of our listeners pointed out, no, it's not the Emperor Claudius's gravestone. I think it was that guy. Uh, right. Tiberius Claudius the Slave. Uh, so his gravestones, uh, I don't think it's in a museum in New York or something now. So there you go. Road trip. Oh, and, and I know we're about to go soon, but you were speaking a couple episodes earlier um, of some of Caligula's, if you want to call it, anti-Jewish policies. It turns out that some of these freemen uh, were actually um, encouraging are, are, are at least certainly guiding Caligula in that direction to, to come down hard on the Jews. How much Caligula might have felt about that on his own, we don't know. But for some of these freedmen, he was getting that uh, message that they need to be, you know, kept in their place. And so either he, uh, of his own volition or from their advice, certainly did uh, pass some policies in that regard. Yeah, there was this one guy, Helicon, an Alexandrian Greek uh, that he inherited from Thibaut. Um, I I said in an earlier episode that Caligula loved a dirty joke. Well, apparently uh, Helicon uh, liked to tell them. Tiberius didn't like them because he was like some of our iTunes reviewers. But Caligula uh, loved a dirty joke. Right. So there you have it, folks. We're the the Caligulas of the podcast community. Not not surprised. Um, Yeah. Uh, uh, Helicon uh, was like Caligula's constant companion. They would play ball together, exercise, bathe, eat meals together. He was with him when he went to sleep at night. He was his chamberlain. He managed the palace guard, which is weird because I thought that was basically the Praetorian prefect's job. Um, But he's splitting up the responsibility, remember? Caligula's splitting up the responsibility because he can't trust any one person. So who knows? Yeah, so maybe there was two Praetorian prefects and a palace guard. Um, and it's and Philo claims that Helicon turned Caligula against the Jews. Mm. Him and Apelles, the actor, who was he was a big fan right. of, they they reckon it was those two guys that uh, told Caligula he should put a statue in the temple at Jerusalem, oh, possibly also the one in uh, the synagogue in Alexandria. Right. Um, he also had a freedman called. Protogenes, who becomes quite famous towards the end of Caligula's reign. He's one of the guys that has a lot of people killed. Yes. Um, and, and by the way, these Apelles and Protogenes are not to be confused with the Apelles and Protogenes that were famous Greek painters uh, from the 4th century BCE no, that we talked about on our Alexander series. Wow. Um, there was, I don't know if you recall this story, but Protogenes, the painter, was so famous... Mm-hmm that when Demetrius, the son of Antigonus, was laying siege to the city where Protogenes lived, and he heard that Protogenes was painting in a particular part of the city he was about to attack, he changed his battle plans so as not to interrupt Protogenes. That's an art lover, my friend. That's that's a connoisseur, if you will, of art. Oh, yeah. my God. Jay. James Caffin will appreciate that story <laughs> if he's, in fact, listening because he's if he's not too busy with his baby. Right. Um, anywho, um, where was I? Yeah, so 
Some historians credit these freed slaves with encouraging Caligula's worst tendencies because they're not part of the Roman establishment. They They don't have any incentive to encourage him to hold back, a bit like Trump being surrounded by his yes men and women. There are no adults in the room around Caligula. Although, to be fair, there was nobody to hold Thibaut back either. I mean, uh, you know, he he did a lot of horrible stuff if the stories are to be believed in the latter part of his rule, both on Capri and and with having people executed and blaming Sianus for it all. So, you know, I I don't know that it's got really as much to do with the slaves uh, giving him advice as it has to do with, if again, if the stories are true, just the fact that he had all this power and yeah. uh, didn't have the right personality to handle it appropriately. There, there's an old um, Polish, is it Polish? I think it's a Polish proverb. If you want to find a man's true character, you give him power. And you'll really find out what he's made of. I think it's Polish. Anyway. I like that, yeah. You know, I, I opened my book with um, something where I say, yeah, the old saying that, absolute power corrupts absolutely uh i think we should turn it around it's that the absolute corrupt seek absolute power <laughs> i like that i like that and then they because if you yeah. just like just imagine the scenario here uh, imagine uh jesus appeared to you tomorrow oh, ray yeah. um <laughs> and said uh, put your dick back in your pants, it's the Lord. And you're like, oh, that's why I pulled it out. And I thought it was, he goes, no, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that Next today. Time. No, no, something else, something yeah. else. Um, I'm going to grant you absolute power, yes. Ray, over all nations and all people. Yeah. Absolute power. Yeah, hell yeah. Of life and death hard. over everybody. Yeah. It's coming out on its own. Obviously, honestly, yeah. seriously, oh, yeah. uh, it would not be pretty. How would you oh, respond? Fucking gonna, uh, it would not be pretty for everybody but me, uh, because I'm human and I would eventually give in to whatever you know my worst my worst nature. Well, that's not the point I was hoping you'd make. The point oh. I was, if if he did that to me, I would say. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think. Sorry, go ahead. Of course you have a choice. It's Jesus. <laughs> you turn the other cheek, Jesus. What are you doing? I'm turning the other cheek. Yes, I never, I never said that. Uh, oh, okay. There was somebody just made that up. Oh, sorry. Right. I fucking hate it when people do that. It's like when nothing ticks me off more. It's like yeah, yeah it's a bad yeah, idea. Yeah. It's, a bad it's idea. like when. It's like when people walk up to Brad Pitt in the street and say, "I loved you in Titanic," and he goes, "That, that, that, <laughs> that wasn't, wasn't me. Uh, me." Yeah, that wasn't me. Um, yeah, like if if you go, if you came up and offered me, then I'd go. You know what? Uh, Bad call, son. Uh, I'm not. Bad call. I'm not sure. Sure, that's a good idea. Like, don't yeah. give it to anyone else either. Right. Like the only reason I would accept that is if you said you were going to give it to some other random person that might be worse than me. Yeah. Take. Give I would say, listen. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't give it to me unless I'm the least worst option. Like, uh, uh, you know, let's go find. Look, how about look, Jesus? You and I go do a road trip, right. and we'll go find some people. A convertible that that 
yeah, road trip, convertible, some great mixtapes, um, and and a suitcase full of uppers uh, and automatic weapons. Uh, like, you know, uh, what could go wrong? Like, it's the absolute power. I, I wouldn't want it, A, right. because I don't think anyone should have it, B, because I know that I, I couldn't be trusted with it. It's like that story. I don't know when we told this story. Was it on? It was on this show, right? We were talking about that. Like within six months, I'd be going, yeah. just you know, get naked and hop on one foot, just just <laughs> just to make me I'm laugh, you know? Board. Yeah, yeah. You got to keep raising yeah. the stakes. So the only people who would want that, ah, my point, right. are people that are absolutely corrupt, or it is really a them or us situation. It's like, well, if I don't take it, somebody else is going to take it and they'll probably be worse and they'll have me so killed and I don't want to be killed, so I better take it. Yep. You know, I, I think that's the case. Anywho, yep. uh, that's it uh, for this episode. Uh, we'll be back next time with uh, episode 12 of Caligula. Be good to each other, people. Don't... Seek the power. Who's turned on? Who's turned on by this rope that you can't see that I'm pulling? It's my penis! Here I come, lady! My goal is to fuck so hard. Hambo, Hambo, where you been? Bitch. Well, who the fuck are you?